and it's about the first of the symptoms, I mean the systems, which is the integumentary system, and it's skin. Skin is considered an organ, but skin plus all the other accessory structures that we will describe, like hair follicles, nails, and different glands, it, all of them are considered a system called the integumentary system. So let's go and um, speak about the integumentary system in the lecture and later in the lab. This week, Tuesday and Thursday, we'll do some experiments about the la uh, skin and see some slides about skin also. So as mentioned before, we have four different types of tissues which are considered the basic tissue types. Epithelium, connective tissue, muscle, and nerves. The epithelium, I mean the skin, contains epithelium, but also contains connective tissue in the part that we call the dermis. Now, there will be muscle, yes, there will be muscle also. The hair follicles, they are related to a muscle, we call that muscle a rector pili muscle. And nerves, there's also nerves here. <coughs> Sensory receptors. Sensory receptors that we have in the skin, they are nervous structures, nervous tissue. So as you see, the four different basic types of tissues are located in the skin. That's the definition of an organ two or more tissues working together. Skin plus accessory structures, they make up the integumentary system. What other accessory structures? Hair, nails, glands, blood vessels, muscles, nerves, all the components that we're going to describe. The word integument, the word integument actually means um, cover, cover, and skin plus all the accessory structures as we mentioned and glands, they constitute the or uh, called integumentary system. Cutaneous membrane cover the outer surface of the body. That's the definition of cutaneous membrane. That fits with the meaning of the word cover, integument. Cutaneous membrane that covers the outer surface of the body. And it's an organ, and it's the largest organ. If we measure the area and wave it, it is considered the largest organ. Although we don't see it like one big thing like the liver or the stomach or the heart, but it's all over our body. 16% of the body weight, actually. And the epithelium, which is the outermost layer in contact with the environment, it is continuously replaced. It is continuously replaced, as we see here, these uh, bits of information about one kilogram of skin epithelium is lost every year. 
and we find it where? In our house. It's part of the dust that we sweep every week, every two weeks, or whichever the frequency is. We say it's just dust, it's dust. But go ahead with the microscope and take a look at it. Most of the skin cells. Skin cells from your body and from the body of all the people that live there. Your bed was full of skin cells. And we can take cells from there. And we can take some DNA from there. The hairs that you leave everywhere. So everywhere we are, we will be leaving skin cells that are dead and being replaced every single day. Handshakes is actually an exchange of dead cells from one person to another. No, it sounds like it sounds like that, but if you go to the microscopic level, actually, you get surprised at many things that happen. Um, so, going more into the structure of the skin, we have here the three basic layers. This is typical, traditional um, uh, knowledge that we usually describe in a very basic way. Three major layers of the skin. The epidermis, dermis, and some people call it hypodermis, just to follow the the structure of the word and the prefixes and suffixes because dermis is the word that means skin actually. Epi above and hypo below. So it's a way to remember epidermis, dermis and hypodermis. Epidermis is where the epithelial tissue is, the outer layer, it's very thin by the way. The inner layer it's thicker, the dermis and its connective tissue. And the deepest layer, also known as subcutaneous or sub-Q layer, is under the dermis. And it's composed by connective tissue also, but basically areolar connective tissue and adipose tissue. It's mostly adipose tissue, the hypodermis. And it's attaching the skin to the organs that are underneath or underlying. Like if we go layer by layer cutting somewhere, like for a surgery in the abdominal region, we cut the skin, we find the adipose tissue, we keep going, and we'll start finding the muscle. So the hypodermis or subcutaneous tissue or layer will attach the skin to the organs that are underlying. Very simple diagram that shows the three layers, epidermis, dermis, and hypodermis. And in the hypodermis, as we said, adipose tissue, with a bunch of blood vessels running, arteries and veins that get into the dermis. But notice, not into the epidermis. The epidermis doesn't have blood vessels. Because we said last time that epithelial tissue is avascular, no blood vessels. So epidermis has no blood vessels. The blood vessels just reach the dermis. And in this other graph, we're showing the injection, the technique called uh, subcutaneous injection. And it's because of this. The needle has to reach the subcutaneous tissue. The needle gets 
there to that layer and we inject the fluids in the subcutaneous layer or subcutaneous tissue. Another way of making this evident, if you touch your skin and make a, a pinch like this, a fold of the skin, what you're doing is actually grabbing dermis and epidermis and whatever you feel loose and slide over the muscle, that is adipose tissue. And as part of the technique of uh, giving this injection, sometimes people describe it like pinch the skin, make a fold like this and put the needle there to make sure that you are in the adipose tissue. Don't go deeper than that. So that's um, the overview of the three layers of the skin. Here we have another diagram with more components. The three layers are here, the epidermis, dermis, and hypodermis or subcutaneous layer. But notice that the epidermis is epithelium. Just epithelium. What type of epithelium it is? Yeah, it's thick, but how do you call it? It is simple or stratified? Stratified. And what's the second name? Stratified what? Stratified squamous. Stratified squamous. Many layers. And the apical layer is squamous cells. The dermis, there are many things in the dermis. Many things like, and first, and we're going to describe that later, the dermis has two components or two sublayers. One of them is called papillary region, and the deeper layer, reticular region. Two sublayers in the, in the dermis papillary layer which is closer to the epidermis and reticular layer or reticular region. What we find in the dermis? Well, we find hair follicles. We find this muscle called a rectal pili muscle. We find glands, nerves, blood vessels, sweat glands, oil glands. We're going to talk about all that. And the subcutaneous layer, we basically see the adipose tissue and blood vessels. Let's start describing the epidermis. What's the epidermis is composed by an epithelium that we call the stratified squamous. Stratified squamous, but we see another name before. Keratinized. Keratinized. Why we use this name? Because it is a stratified squamous epithelium, but there are other places in our body where we have a stratified squamous epithelium. So to make the description more accurate, we use this word before keratinized, which means that this type of epithelium is covered by a layer of keratin, an additional layer of keratin, which will provide more protection because this epithelium is exposed to the outside. For Types of cells are found in the epidermis, and these are the four types, keratinocytes, melanocytes, Langerhans cell, and Merkel cell. We're going to describe each of these cell types. First, keratinocytes. Keratinocytes are the most. Almost 90% of all the cells of the epithelium are called keratinocytes. And they have that name because they make this protein called keratin. Second type, melanocytes. 
The prefix melano means dark, black. Melanocytes produce this pigment called melanin. melanin. Function of this pigment is protection against ultraviolet radiation. Third type, Langerhans cells, immune cells. They are macrophages, cells that are going to eat and capture and destroy microorganisms that invade our body or any foreign <laughs> particle. Immune cells. And Merkel cells, the fourth type, they are cells connecting to receptors, nervous receptors. So these are nervous structures, the Merkel cells, connecting to nervous structures. So these are the four types of cells that we find in the epidermis. Now, all those cells can be seen in this diagram. We have a drawing and a photograph of a real slide to compare both. We see the keratinocytes, which are the most abundant, we said, keratinocytes. We also see the melanocytes, Langerhans cells, and Merkel cells. Keratinocytes are the most abundant. And if you look close, these cells they have a pigment inside. They have like small dots in the cytoplasm. Melanocytes are cells that are located in the basal layer of the epidermis in contact with the basement membrane and the connective tissues. And these melanocytes, they also have small black dots and they have like projections that get in between the keratinocytes. These cells contain pigment in the cytoplasm. This pigment called melanin. They are found in the basal layer and under the microscope they are seen as brown cells, brown cytoplasm. You can see some cells in mitosis sometimes like we see here a cell in my mitosis and anaphase. Merkel cells connected to nervous structures, as we see here. Merkel cell connecting to a sensory neuron. And Langerhans cell, a cell that is depicted as pink, is an immune system cell. It's there to capture any invader that can go, uh, want to get, get through. So these are the four types of layers, I mean, four types of cells. But all these cells, keratinocytes and others, are arranged in layers, and these are layers of the epidermis only. And let's start from the most, or from the basal layer, which is called the stratum basal. Stratum basal, yes. Is the cell, is it always in the middle like that, or is it? Maybe anywhere in between the keratinocytes. Okay. Since it's a macrophage, it goes migrating. Yeah, but always in the epidermis. So starting from the most basal layer, we have the uh, layer called the stratum basal. And it's basically the melanocytes, the melanocytes and cells in mitosis. Then we have a stratum spinosum. Stratum spinosum, which is very thick, it's almost all this. 
Then go in more apical, stratum granulosum, called in that way because these keratinocytes start turning flat and look darker. The granules are more visible. That's why it's called granulosum, because you see the granules. Then after you see a layer that looks clear, almost transparent, called stratum lucidum. Lucidum stands for transparent, clear. Finally, stratum corneum. Stratum corneum. What it is, the stratum corneum is a layer of dead keratinocytes. How we explain this arrangement? Well, the basal layers, the stratum basal, are con continuously in mitosis. And they, these are the places where the skin is replaced. The epidermis is replaced. All these cells keep dividing, pushing all the rest to the top. And farther they get from the connective tissue, lesser the blood supply. Therefore, will be older and will die. Stratum lucidum and stratum corneum are dead keratinocytes. And then when they get to the apical, they are lost. That's why this stratum corneum is dead keratinocytes. We're still attached to the skin, but loose. And they are continuously being lost. Yes. So are they all, they're all the same kind of cells then? They're all going to be... Keratinocytes. Keratinocytes, exactly. That's what we said before. Keratinocytes are 90% of all the cells. The rest is melanocytes, miracle cells, like your own cells. So the shape doesn't necessarily mean that they're different cells. Not necessarily, yeah, okay. not necessarily. And that's what you're going to see in the lab. Try to identify some of the layers. Uh, this slide shows you a photograph of all these layers. The stratum basal, that's what you see the melanocytes. These look like dark brown cells. Stratum spinosum is the thick layer, most of the cells there. Stratum granulosum, you see dark cells with granules. Lucidum, it's paler, and the corneum, all these pink layer on the very top. The usual is very thick. The corneum is very thick. It is thicker if the skin is thicker, of course, like the skin of the elbow, the skin of the uh, foot and the plant. Uh, it will be a very thick stratum corneum. Yes. The lamellar granules are also here. That's keratin. Uh, uh, keratin. Okay. It is keratin. So this is the description of all the layers that we've been seeing in the in the picture. The basal is the bottom or deepest layer. Continuous cell division. You can see mitosis sometimes here in this layer. Spinosum, eight to ten keratinocytes. There's a thick layer of cells. Stratum granulosum. These cells don't divide anymore. They get filled with keratin. That's what the granules, granules of keratin. Lucidum is the next layer, but notice here, this lucidum is only present in thick skin, like fingertips, palms, soles. Only in thick skin. We don't see lucidum in thin skin. Like, if it's skin from the forearm, anterior forearm, very thin, you probably won't see stratum lucidum. And remember that for the lab. In the lab, we have some slides, but you don't see lucidum. That means that's thin skin. And the corneum, dead cells, dead keratinocytes, filled with the keratin. 
And that's why they have the pink color. Because protein stains as pink. This is the layer that's continuously shed and replaced. The stratum cornea. We call keratinization that process of replacement of the cells, continuous replacement of the cells from the sternum basal until it gets to the very top and form this thick layer of keratin. As long as they grow and get into uh, active and then later when they get older they're filled with keratin, that process is called keratinization. Questions? Yes. How long it takes? Give me a guess. Hours? Hours? Days? Weeks? How much? Seconds? Couple of weeks? Huh? Couple of days? Three days? Couple of days is when you go to the beach and got a sunburn and, and your skin peels off. That's when your skin peels off. That means that that process of keratinization has been accelerated. Why? Because of injury. When you have a sunburn, um, that's an overstimulation. Well, the cells get damaged, and so they have to be replaced faster. So in three to five days, probably three five days usually, your skin peels off. Because that process was so quick that you have a big layer of stratum corneum not ready to be lost. But usually, normally, the time it takes is about two or three weeks from the cell, from the basal layer, to reach the stratum cornea. That's the usual, yeah, the usual time. And you, you're not able to see scales coming out of your skin. So that happens very, very, very slow, and every day. And whenever there is, a, and this is the origin of the calluses, whenever there is a constant friction, which is an injury, it's a physical injury to the skin, that process is accelerated. And you have a thicker layer of stratum cornea followed uh, by inflammation, and that hurts usually. But if it gets chronic, then you get a callus, wherever it is, usually on the fingers, on the toes. But if the stimulus stops, if you buy new shoes and you get a callus there, and after six months you change the shoes, a different shoe with a different shape, the stimulus stops, well, the callus will disappear in the next three months probably. This guy eats all those cells that we lose. This is a scanning microscope picture. That's how our skin looks, stratum corneum of our skin. That's how it looks every day, losing like sheaths of skin, groups of cells being lost. And this guy eats all of them. This commonly called uh, how do you call these guys? Dust mites. Dust mites. Where do we find it? Yeah, they sleep with us every day in our pillows and beds. Tons of them. So that's why it's a very good habit to change our bed clothes regularly. Yeah. I mean, it's we live with them. They live happy with us. We don't even notice. But at some point, some point, some people get hypersensitivity to them. 
and they wake up in the morning and they see like little things and rash and they say what happened here what is this i'm allergic yeah bro you're allergic and uh, people that have that type of reaction is because they are allergic to these dust mites but they're not allergic to them they are allergic to the feces of the dust mites that's getting worse <laughs> but that's yeah that's 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 actually what happens it's we get allergic to the feces of these guys after they eat all our cells dendruff is another example of excessive or accelerated process of keratinization that happens in the scalp when you uh, use a shampoo that irritates your skin and or you don't rinse very well and the, the shampoo is still there and irritates your skin and you have a quick keratinization and you start losing these little scales. Um, if it's dendruff, then sometimes it's mycosis, like uh, uh, types of fungus, but if it's just dendruff because of irritation, you can see something like this, or you can see diseases like psoriasis, which uh, is not a normal process of keratinization. It's still keratinization, but follow, um, following a, a, an immune system abnormality usually. But the process of keratinization is the same. Plus inflammation. Plus inflammation, that's why you see red, a red ring with some scales and sometimes very hard to treat because it's not so simple. But that's, those are examples of epidermis and actually how it looks and what happens with epidermis every day. And um, the two types of skin that I was talking about, thin and thick skin, uh, we have two slides of the two types. Thick skin, you can recognize the thick skin. Of course, there will be more layers of keratinocytes, but you will see a very thick stratum corneum and the presence of stratum lucidum. Thick skin. Thin skin, few layers of keratinocytes, and you will see a stratum corneum, but you will see a few layers, I mean like fibers, like three, four layers, very individualized like we see here. That's a stratum corneum. And that's the typical of thin skin. Pigments. Melanin is a pigment of the skin produced by the melanocytes in the stratum basal. There are two types of melanin, eumelanin and pheomelanin, that will give us these types of uh, color, brown to black and yellow to red. And we can see them as concentration of melanocytes. We can see them like freckles, concentration of melanin and melanocytes. Uh, they can be triggered by excessive exposure to sunlight. And, uh, but not only, you have to have a genetic predisposition or the genetic trait for freckles. And usually if an excessive exposure may trigger more concentration of melanin, the freckles get um, very evident. And usually in this area of, this, of the skin or the face, the areas that are exposed to the sun. Something else, yes. Sorry, um, so everyone has either 
You know, it's different. You melanin is a usual type of melanin that you have in the skin. Okay. The pheomelanin is usually present in the in the hair. In the hair, hair that gives a red color. Okay. Red, reddish, yeah. So does everyone carry that? Yeah, and the hair may be mixture of both, but in the skin, the cells of the usually you melanin. Another thing related with melanocytes is that they can concentrate more melanin and uh, this sometimes is genetic. I mean, people have predisposition to have different <laughs> types of molds or birthmarks, uh, some spots on the skin, and those are concentrations of mel melanin in melanocytes. But the problem is when these cells, the melanocytes, turn malignant, and then we have this very aggressive type of cancer, which is called malignant melanoma. And the origin is of melanocytes. How to distinguish if a nevus or mole is a malignant or cancer? Usually, there are some characteristics, like in these two photographs, we have this mole, which is normal nevus, and it looks very nice. It looks round, the borders are regular. And compare with this other one, which is the malignant melanoma. The borders are not regular. It looks like a map, geographical, irregular borders. The color is not uniform. There are areas that are darker, areas that are lighter. So that those are characteristics of, oh, and of course the size. And of course the size. But Sometimes melanomas may be very small, and um, they have to be well diagnosed. These are the, the features, the features of the malignant and benign. Like if it's symmetric, that's benign. If it's asymmetric, may be malignant. Yes. Is it what? Oh, if they're cured for melanoma? Yeah, the treatment is to remove the, uh, uh, the mole, so surgery. As soon as it's diagnosed, and sometimes it's two things. I mean, at the same time, you remove the mole, send it to pathology, diagnose it's cancer, but you already removed it. That's important. It's in, just in the epidermis. Should be just epidermis. If it invades the dermis, that is malignant. Yeah, that is malignant. And the other features like borders are uneven. They are more than two colors. It is larger than quarter of an inch. And this is one of the most important. Change in size, shape, color, and brief period of time, like in a month or two months. There's some people who come and say, I never had this mole here, but now I noticed a month ago, it's just appeared and it's, and it's growing. So that's a sign that that has to be removed and sent for a study, uh, maybe a malignant melanoma. So it's a good idea to have a, an inventory of moles, at least. Notice, be aware if one of the moles changed a long time. And it usually doesn't happen. I mean, early in life, usually after 40, 50, that's the time. Although, there are people at 20, 30s, they may have a malignant melanoma. 
Um, other problem of pigments is called uh, vitiligo, which is a chronic disorder, which is an immune problem. It's an immune problem. The melanocytes are completely absent. They don't produce more melanin. So you start seeing these patches, decoloration of the skin. The exact cause is not known. We don't know why someone starts having that. There may be some infection associated with that sometimes, destruction of melanocytes and you see more patches, but not necessarily. Some people just don't have anything. All of a sudden they start having those patches and they start spreading all over. And uh, there is no treatment for this. Yeah. There are creams. What they do is decolor, de decolor your skin. So if you're having white patches like this, well, there are creams and treatments that complete the process. And then you turn from being a dark skin to completely white skin. That's not a treatment, but it's a cosmetic uh, change. Yeah. So it directly affects the melanin? Yeah. It is affection of the melanocytes. It's a problem of melanocytes. It is considered an autoimmune disease. Problem of the immune system. We destroy the melanin or melanocytes. Sometimes we see this. Disease is genetic. It's a congenital problem called albinism. There is an absence, complete absence of pigment. Not only the skin, but also the hair and also in the eyes because the color of the eyes is because we have melanin there some people have blue eyes green eyes because what we see is not only the melanin we see the combination of the melanin plus the blood vessels running there and that combination gives different colors but if there is no melanin at all you will see the eyes completely pink or red and uh, Melanin is important, as we said before, to protect us from the ultraviolet radiation. So people with albinism, they have no protection of the skin, and they have more risk for skin cancer, which is a problem of um, excessive exposure to ultraviolet radiation. That's why we shouldn't be exposed to the sun for a long time, especially the peak hours of the sunlight. And even worse, if our skin is uh, wider than usual, it's not much melanin, then you have more risk of uh, getting skin cancer if excessive exposure to the sun happens. Questions about the epidermis? Let's go to the dermis. The dermis is connected to the tissue we said, and there are two regions or two sublayers in the dermis. First is called papillary region. It is made of areolar connective tissue. It's right below, right below the epidermis. Very thin, contains the typical components of connective tissue, collagen, elastic fibers. And it's arranged, I mean, the, the shape that it has is called dermal papillae because it's ups and downs, like uphills, downhills, Containing capillary blood vessels, capillary loops. Here is where the touch and free nerve endings, nerve receptors or sensory receptors are located. 
in the papillary region. We see it here with more detail, the dermal papillae, we call it. These ups and downs, like finger-like projections of the dermis. And that's areolar connective tissue. Dermal papillae. Now, those dermal papillae are dermis, and of course, on top, there is epidermis. But since they have that shape up and down, the epidermis follows up. And if we see it from the surface, we see the ups and downs, and those are called epidermal ridges. And that's the basis or the explanation of the fingerprints. If we see the fingerprints, we'll see regions are higher and deep regions like this. And that's because of the dermal papillae covered by epidermis called epidermal ridges. Very important because they help to increase the firmness of grip. That's why you can grab a piece of paper, grab very thin things and hold them with your fingers. So is that what also causes pores on your skin? Causes what? Pores. Pores. The pores are actually there in the epidermal ridges and the down part. Yeah, in those big deep valleys in between. The dermis contains also another region which is deeper called reticular region. In that reticular region is connective tissue but this time it's dense irregular. Dense irregular connective tissue. And here is where we will find hair follicles, nerves, glands like sebaceous or oil glands, sweat glands or sudoriferous glands, dense irregular connective tissue, collagen fibers. There's a lot of collagen fibers. If you remember this, the view of the dense irregular, they're thick collagen fibers running in different directions. When we stretch the skin excessively and for a long time, then we will see these lesions called stretch marks or also known as striae. What it means is that those collagen fibers are torn and ripped because of excessive stretching. This happens in the abdominal skin during pregnancy in the third trimester. Some women develop this stretched stretch marks and it literally look like lines. Here you go. It's red lines. Imagine having this like a network or cloth and just overstretch it and you'll rip all the fibers. That's what it is. And it looks red because what you see is the blood vessels of the hypodermis. That's what you're seeing. You're supposed to see the skin color because that's the dermis. But if you rip the collagen fibers, then you find like interruptions, and you can see like windows to the deep layer, the hypodermis with blood vessels. And if you touch them, you pass your finger on top, you can feel the interruption. You can feel that it's in deeper things and, and areas. 
And then afterwards, they turn white. They turn white, there's some skin covering, but they don't return completely to normality. There's always some loose skin, weak skin at that point. It happens not only in pregnancy, it happens in other conditions. Uh, whenever the skin is overstretched, like someone has a tumor, or um, in some cases of obesity also, the skin is stretched too much in different regions, and, and you can see stretch marks there. Questions to this point? Yes. You were saying um, you see the blood vessels of the hypodermis or of the dermis? The hypodermis, yeah, because a reticular layer of the dermis is torn, and you have like a window to see inside, to see deeper. How do we treat the stretch marks? Uh, collagen creams, collagen oil. You think the collagen will help? Makes sense, right? If the collagen is broken and ripped, we give creams of collagen, it doesn't work. Collagen is a protein, it's fiber, it's protein, and the proteins are not absorbed through the skin. If you want to use, I mean, you want to repair those with collagen, well, you better eat the collagen, let your digestive system digest that into amino acids, and then with new amino acids, you make more collagen, and that's how it works. Well, you cannot just direct your fibroblasts to make more collagen fibers there. If you apply creams of collagen on the skin, collagen is, it will stay there in the epidermis. It won't get deep. And some of them may have some cosmetic effect, may reinforce, but not the collagen. The collagen is not replaced. The only way, as I said, is order your fibroblasts to produce more collagen there. How do you do that? Well, in theory, with stem cells. In theory. Another important thing about the dermis is something we call the lines of cleavage. Lines of cleavage or lines of tension or tension lines. If we notice this uh, arrangement of collagen fibers in the skin, even though it's densely irregular, but there's some specific pattern. And uh, that's what the surgeons use to plan their incisions. Usually the incisions are made following the lines of cleavage. Like if we have an appendicitis, the incision is usually like this, in that direction, following the lines of cleavage. If we have a C-section, we have something like this, following the lines of cleavage, or we cut here in the middle. We usually find the lines of cleavage, unless the surgery is something specific that, well, you cannot help and just have to cut through the lines of uh, cleavage, but this helps. You are not putting the skin in too much tension under the, after the surgery. Because if you do, the problem is scars. The scars will be thick, uh, healing will not be so properly, and uh, especially there's more incidence of uh, thick scars. Plastic surgeons care a lot about this. Uh, these are the different incisions that are planned in surgery, usually following the cleavage lines. Not always, but usually, yeah. By knowing this diagram, yeah, you cannot see them on this game. Yeah, you have to know these lines, how they run in the body.
Questions, comments? 10 minute break. All right, let's continue. Now we're gonna talk about the dermis um, and all the components of the dermis. Remember that the dermis has two regions, papillary region and reticular region. Papillary region is or contains the dermal papillae and the reticular region is dense irregular connective tissue with all the accessory structures. Here we have a view of what we were calling the epidermal ridges. So they show us here how the dermal papillae look like and the epidermal ridges are covering all these dermal papillae. And they are arranged like his ups and downs and determining the fingerprints basically. One thing to say about the dermis is that the dermis has macrophages, there's a lot of immune system cells here, and when we make tattoos, the ink is injected into, into the dermis. It has to be injected into dermis. All these needles and devices are specially designed to reach this depth into the dermis. And the ink produces inflammation. And after the inflammation, the macrophages come and try to enclose all the ink and actually form a capsule around it, and the ink will stay there permanently without producing any further damage or inflammation, if everything is fine. You know, some people react very bad to tattoos and their chronic inflammation or may have an infection. Some bacteria, microorganism invades at the same time the tattoos have been, are being done and, and we may have a problem. Another thing to consider is whatever injury or damage that happens in the dermis, it will leave a scar. The scar is more probable and possible if the injury is in the dermis. So a tattoo that is not well done and it causes inflammation of any type or infection, mostly, most probably will leave a scar in that place. Well, some, some people, what they do is this intentionally and they have like a scar. I've seen people that do some type of intentional scarring of the skin and they follow different shapes and features. But that's what happens in that explanation of the processes that happen in the dermis. This is different because these are just paintings made on the epidermis. How long they last? How long is it? What is two or three weeks? That's the time of the epidermis replacement. So this is another marker to tell you, well, that's the time that all your cells, you're just staying in the epidermis. You're even staying in the basal layer. Yeah, but after three weeks, they'll be gone. And all these painted cells will be gone. And this will just fade after that time. Deeper, we have the subcutaneous layer. Subcutaneous layer, also called hypodermis. Hypodermis. Here we have blood vessels, nerves, that are going to the superficial layers, dermis, to the reticular layer and uh, papillary layer. Deep in the dermis, we find these receptors skin receptors called pacinian corpuscles, which detect external pressure. These are 
Uh, shown in this diagram here, very low, between the hypodermis and dermis, they detect deep pressure. Well, we've been saying this, multiple layers uh, of the skin help uh, for protection and it talks about different specialization or differentiation of cells in the epidermis. Uh, the dermis provides additional protection and insulation to control the temperature. Blood vessels run in there so they will regulate the temperature and subcutaneous tissue, additional insulation, and storage of fat, and storage of the fat, anchoring the skin to deeper layers. What type of sensory receptors we find in the skin? Different types for different sensations. Sensory receptors, like superficially, we find free nerve endings and Merkel discs, Meissner corpuscles, hair root plexuses, that mostly detect touch, fine touch. And the deeper are the Pacinian corpuscles that we saw in the previous uh, images. In this image, we can see some of them. Meissner corpuscle for touch and the dermal papilla. Pacinian corpuscle deep between the hypodermis and dermis, deep pressure. Free nerve endings, which are also located <laughs> in the dermal papillae. These are usually the pain receptors. And others, like this fiber surrounding the hair follicle that will be related with touch also. When the hair follicles bend and move because of the action of the wind, we can feel that, and that helps as a touch receptors. Accessory structures of the skin, like the hair. Composition of the hair, dead keratinized cells. That's what the hair is. But as I said, it helps with touch sensations because they are wrapped in the base by these nerve endings. So when they bend on the surface of the skin, that stimulates the nerve endings around. <coughs> and it gives additional protection also against uh, effects of the sun, radiation, and heat loss. The parts of a hair what we see on the surface of the skin is the shaft, the hair shaft. The follicle is what we see below the level of the skin. So when we see a section under the microscope and we see the hair running in the dermis, well that's called the follicle, the hair follicle. And the root is the lower part, which is usually a dilated part, which is called the hair bulb. So shaft, hair shaft is what we see on the surface. Follicle, what goes below the level of the skin. And the root, the deepest part, the lower part of the skin, as we see here. Shaft, whatever is 
the surface. The hair follicle is what is below the level of the skin. The hair root will be all this. And the bulb is the dilated part and the very bottom part. Notice this muscle, a rector pili muscle, which connects the hair bulb to the dermis. Smooth muscle, involuntary muscle that gets contracted by the effects of the nervous system, sympathetic nervous system, which is automatic, unconscious, not voluntary. And also in the dermis we see the presence of glands like sebaceous gland and the sweat gland. Yeah, follicle will be just without any movement. And if we make a section in different directions, orientations, then we see different layers. Different layers. But the hair follicles are covered by the epidermis and dermis. That's why you can see in the cross section or transverse section, you can see a dermal root sheath and an epithelial root sheath. Well, the dermal root sheath will be actually part of the dermis, and the epi epithelial root sheath will be part of the epidermis. And the, the hair, the hair will be all this part in the center part, which also has different layers. From outer to inner, we have the cuticle, the cuticle of the hair, which looks purple here, the cortex in red and the medulla of the hair, these yellow cells in the very central part. Which you can also see, you can also see the same here, but in the longitudinal section. Dermal sheath, epithelial sheath, and then the cuticle, the cortex, and the medulla, which are the parts of the hair. In the hair bulb, we see this blood vessel loop that feed. These blood vessels feed the hair matrix. And in the hair matrix, which is a basal layer only, we see the melanocytes. And they give the color to the hair. As long as they die and they part, take part of the structure of the hair, they come out and by just a position, they divide, cells divide and die, and they start forming the hair that starts coming out. Cortex, medulla, and cuticle. Those are the parts of the hair in a transverse section. When we dye our hair, what we do is to dye the cuticle of the hair. There are different types of hair, depending on the location and the thickness. Lanugo is that very fine hair that is seen only in the body of the fetus before birth. Right after birth, this lanugo is lost. Villas are fine hairs, barely visible sometimes, and the terminal hairs are the ones that we see, actually. See and on the scalp or in other parts of the body. 
with different thickness. Let's see the glands. Skin glands like the sebaceous glands, sebaceous or oil glands. They're always connected to hair follicles, as we see here. Hair follicle and the sebaceous gland. Sebaceous gland and hair follicle. Always. If you see a hair follicle, if you are under the microscope looking for sebaceous glands, look for a hair follicle. Right next to it, you should, you should find a sebaceous gland. They produce sebum, which prevents dehydration and inhibits growth of bacteria. When we get older, our skin gets drier because we lose a number of sebaceous glands. Why we lose them? Remember, sebaceous glands are an example of holocrine glands, the ones that release the secretion, the secretion killing the cells. So along the time, we run out of these cells and we run out of sebaceous glands and less and less every time or the skin becomes dry. Acne is the infection, is the result of the infection of sebaceous glands. Sebaceous glands during the adolescence, puberty, they change the composition of the sebum under hormonal stimulation. And bacteria, some type of bacteria, like this one here, Propionibacterium agnes, which lives on the skin. Well, these bacteria are more attracted to that type of sebum producing the puberty, and uh, plus genetic predisposition and the presence of these bacteria, then we have an infection of all this, which sometimes leads to a very bad scaring of the skin because of the infection. These sebaceous glands are in the dermis. And we said, if there's some inflammation or something in the dermis, and if it's serious, a scar will follow. Skin glands also include sweat glands, which are of two types. Ecrine and apocrine. Ecrine are the ones known as the sweat glands and are everywhere in our body. They secrete a watery solution. One of the main important things, the most important things is they help to control the temperature. And the apocrine sweat glands, where they are located, they are located in some areas like the axilla, the groin, around the mammary gland, next to the beard, and the type of sweat they produce is different. It's not so watery. It's a kind of mucus, more thick. And there's a type of bacteria that like this secretion, especially in the axilla. And that's why the characteristic odor that comes from the sweat of the axilla is because of bacteria like that type of secretion. And, and since it's an area that is not exposed to the sun, that favors the reproduction of those bacteria. Ecrine, they are the ones that re react to emotional stress, fear, embarrassment, like uh, sweaty hands. All those are ecrine sweat glands. And the apocrine are from the axilla, uh, groin, and other parts of the body.
Serominous gland is a type of soy gland. What are serominous glands? Cell, uh, glands located in the ear canal. They produce ear wax. They are modified sweat glands. Modified sweat glands. They are modified to produce this special type of secretion known as ear wax. Which is good because it helps to prevent or prevent the infection or invasion of foreign particles. The other accessory structure of the skin are the nails. Nail is the material is keratin. It's keratin, hard keratin. Cells containing this keratin get hard and will be the composition of the nails, which have a free edge, a nail body which is transparent, with a lunula, the semicircle curved structure at the very base. And a root that is under the skin, this fold of the skin. The nail body is transparent and let us see the skin under the nail. It has a very thin layer of epidermis and then the dermis. So through the nail you can see the capillary blood vessels. If you press against your nails, it will turn white. When you let it go, and it turns pink quickly. If you get a magnifying glass, the, the, the vision is much better. But that means that you can see the blood capillary blood vessels. And if you see a microscope, you're able to see the, some of these capillary blood vessels there. Nails are very important because they help to increase the firmness of grip. Imagine if you didn't have nails, how would you hold your pen? You hold it again with your skin against your nail. So this is a longitudinal section or sagittal section to see all these structures and the relation with deeper planes. Now finally, let's describe some of the functions of the skin which is mainly protection, as mentioned before. It's a physical barrier. Regulation of body temperature, blood vessels in the dermis, sweat glands, sensory perceptions, all the types of receptors that we have. Synthesis of vitamin D. There are cells in the skin that will produce or help in the production of vitamin D, which is very important for metabolism of calcium. And the skin is a reservoir of blood. All the blood vessels of the skin can keep up to 20% of the whole blood volume. That's an important thing also. How we regulate the temperature of the body and the skin? By vasodilation and vasoconstriction. And the blood vessels of the dermis are the ones that work in this case. Hypodermis and dermis. When there is increased heat, uh, when there is uh, increased temperature, the blood vessels dilate. More blood is exposed to the surface of the body, and by radiation we lose heat. And in the other way, cold temperature, the blood vessels constrict. There's less blood exposed to the outside we keep our heat.
Vitamin D. <laughs> what about the vitamin D? Vitamin D, we said, is important for the metabolism of calcium. And the skin, the compound called Pro D3, which is a pro vitamin, a chemical precursor of the vitamin, under the exposure to the sun and ultraviolet radiation, turns into pre D3 and then into vitamin D3. Vitamin D3 through the blood, reaches the liver. And in the liver, it suffers transformations. Like a hydroxyl group is added, and we have a 25-hydroxyl <laughs> vitamin D. That one goes through the kidney, and it gets another hydroxyl group. One 25-hydroxyl D. Well, that's the one that works on the bone and intestine. And the intestine will increase calcium absorption. And in the bone, the calcium stores are mobilized. So, we guarantee that we have enough amount of calcium in the blood. That's how important the vitamin D is. If there is no exposure of the skin to the sun, less amount of vitamin D will be produced. And that may be not good. We don't get to see that much because we are, one way or another, we're exposed to the sun. But especially at the beginning, after birth, mothers are told sometimes to yeah, bring the babies out. We get exposed to the sunlight. You're not going to give the baby to the sun exposure, but at least make sure that the baby receives some light. Um, but in areas of the world where the seasons of winter and summer are extreme where there are very long periods of time where they are not exposed to the sun and that may be a problem besides we have the chance to get vitamin d from the diet so in either or other way we can get enough amount of vitamin d how the skin works as a reservoir of blood This shows the different percentages of distribution of blood in different organs. And if you see the skin at the rest, can hold up to 4 or 5% of the blood. But then during exercise, can hold up to 5-20% of the cardiac output, of all the blood that the heart sends to the tissues. And that's when we exercise, we get like warm, hot, start sweating because the blood is circulating on our skin, the skin is keeping more blood, and that helps to lose the temperature that we are producing by excessive metabolism in the muscle and, and uh, production of heat is increased. The skin heals following homeostasis, which means brings everything back to balance. And the healing includes dermis and epidermis. If it's superficial, I mean, the injury is superficial, the epidermis will heal completely and usually won't see any type of scar. 
That's what happens when we have a sunburn. The sunburn, the epidermis is damaged, it peels off, and even blisters may happen, but it will heal fine and we don't have scars. The epidermis heals very well. But when it gets deeper to the dermis and subcutaneous, then is when we see a scar tissue. As usually, the rule is when damage is deeper, scar is more possible. And why is that? Why? Because in the epidermis, just the cells of the epidermis are damaged. Only the epithelium, which are replaced very well by the basal layer, which is continuous in mitosis. But if you get to the dermis, then you are injuring fibroblasts. You're ripping collagen fibers, and that is a stronger stimulus. The fibroblasts will produce more collagen fibers, and those collagen fibers will be arranged perhaps in a different shape and direction. And that's what the scar is. We see here deep wound healing. See what happens here in the dermis. There's a damage there. And there are cells from the immune system invading in order to repair that damage. And then after we see this tissue here that looks whiter than the rest. It has scar tissue because it's new collagen fiber, new fibers, new everything. Fibroblasts have produced more tissue there to replace the old one. It's healed, but we can see a scar in different uh, degrees. If the infection is more severe, of course, there will be more scars. Yes? Is the scar tissue on the top, the epidermis, the same as scar tissue, like down below in surgery or something? In surgery, it's a little bit different. It is true that the injury is deeper, but it's a controlled injury. The scalpel is very fine. And if you cut the skin, dermis, epidermis, dermis, then, and if you approximate very well, and that's why the surgical techniques or stitching and there are different techniques that guarantee that they're well approximated and the healing will be fine. But if there is not a good technique in the stitching and you get your layers like this, then of course the healing will not be good. Then you have a scar. So it depends on the type of injury. Surgery is a controlled injury. As long as you approximate the ends well, it will be fine. This type of scars is called keloid. And what we see, this is under the microscope. We see all this area. A lot of collagen fibers. Too many. Because they're making a bump here. That you can see out in the epidermis. The epidermis is fine. The epidermis is fine. What happens is down the epidermis, below the epidermis. What you see here, all this area, you see shiny because it's covered by epidermis. The epidermis is okay. What is under the epidermis is a big collection of new collagen fibers that have grown in this, in this amount, sometimes uncontrolled. Sometimes people are genetically determined or predisposed to develop scars. And um, even after surgeries, when they are well controlled, everything is fine, they, they have a keloid scar afterwards. That's tendency to form scars that some people have. Finally, some words about burns, an injury, which may be of different types, electrical, uh, fire, chemicals, radiation. And we divide the different degrees of burns according to the depth, the depth of damage. First degree, just epidermis. 
redness as a typical feature, sunburn example, second degree epidermis and dermis. Redness, yes, but blisters are the rule. Whenever there are blisters, there's a second degree burn. What is a blister? A blister is a collection of fluid because of the damage of the epidermis and dermis. So the fluid what contains is some dead cells of the dermis and immune cells that are reacting to the damage. Yes? Is that the same thing like blisters caused by friction? Yes, they are. They are the same thing. The fluid is inflammatory fluid by constant friction. And third degree, of course, deeper layers, hypodermis, and even deeper muscle, nerves. Sometimes they are not painful at all because even the nerve receptors and everything have been destroyed. The assessment of burns is made follow, uh, following certain rules and percentages of the surface area. And some burns are considered critical depending on the extent of the surface area and the depth of the injury. But one thing is clear that if the area exceeds 70%, the mortality increases. Because there's no barrier. There's the microorganisms, they have an open door and they invade everything. Infection is usually the most common complication of people with severe and critical burns. Is that with even skin grafting and everything? Yeah. yeah. How, how fast do you have to put skin grafts on? It depends. On burns, usually what you have to do is treat and prevent infection first and then allow some days for the fibroblasts to start reacting and then is the time for skin graft when there is no chance of infection. But the thing is, if there's an infection, then the skin has to be, the graft has to be delayed and that increases the, the complication rate. Because that's why the increase the surface area, more complications, less chance to, to, to make a skin graft quick. And there's this rule that is called the nine, the rules of nine, uh, they divided the body areas in different, in different uh, percentages and some guidelines about them. Finally, aging. Aging process includes, and we mentioned some of them, loss of sebaceous glands, loss of collagen fibers, presence of age spots, which are concentrations of melanocytes, because of hyperstimulation of chronic irritation, inflammation, excessive exposure to the sun, and uh, loss of sweat glands. And all that is summarized here. Questions, comments? Okay, on Thursday we have the first uh, midterm, the exam. We will start at 3.30. Uh, you don't have to bring any scantron. I will print the answer sheets for you that day because there are 50 questions. And um, I'll bring everything. You don't have to bring anything. Just bring your pencil and all your knowledge. Um, we, will, we will not have a lecture that day. It's all just exam from 3.30 to 5. 
And then we do have lab after with the Thursday group. Okay? Alrighty. We do have lab, yeah.